Thanksgiving is that wonderful time of year when a giant table full of food just sort of shows up. Except it doesn't just appear. It had to be made and crafted and created and planned and scheduled and arranged and stored. And there's a lot that goes into that. I'm going to talk about making this Thanksgiving fabulous and as stress-free as possible with some tips on organizing the day and organizing the week, and actually even starting the week before. Planning for success is the best way to make sure we get some. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, Episode 60. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. folks welcome back to the podcast Dan Reed here the culinary libertarian happy to have you here happy to be here I've made a few adjustments to the podcasts page culinarylibertarian.com slash podcasts you can still find all the previous episodes listed there but I've moved the podcatcher links the patreon paypal and bitcoin links and the e-cookbook link to the support page, culinarylibertarian.com slash support. I've been mentioning my e-cookbook, Foolproof Muffins, Recipes That Work Every Time, and some of you may not have gotten the book who meant to. I just discovered that that was a dead link. So all this time I've been sending you to a link which didn't work. I am a bit embarrassed and very sorry you didn't get what you expected. That seems like dirty pool, and that was not the plan. So, the link is fixed. So, the link is fixed. You can enter your email address and be redirected to the download page and get your Muffins e-cookbook. Again, I do apologize for the frustration you might have had in not getting it and not knowing what's going on. (laughs) It's because of me. I fixed it. Savory Spice is my go-to spice company, and they're having a sale through the end of November, on November 30th, 2019, for free shipping on all orders of $25 or more. Savory Spice has a maple turkey brine kit for your bird, and yes, I am a big fan of brining, as well as the seasoning mixes I've mentioned. I really like the Mount Hood toasted onion on my hamburger or meatloaf mix, but also in the onion chip dip recipe for a little extra pizzazz. You can also find Christmas gift sets such as salt kits or other spice or barbecue packages. Use my affiliate link, and when you get to the Savory Spice page, the discount is automatically applied. Easy peasy. Click on over to culinarylibertarian.com slash savorythanksgiving. That's culinarylibertarian.com slash savorythanksgiving. And flavorize. That's a cook term. Your Thanksgiving dinner. It's a solo episode today, folks, in two parts. The first part is just a discussion about getting organized, getting your mise en place in order for a successful and as stress-free as possible 
Thanksgiving week and, of course, Thanksgiving dinner. The second part of the show is last year's episode about the first Thanksgiving, both of them. So, of course, we know about the feast, which is what we're getting ready to do, but there was a giving of thanks before the giving of thanks for the feast, with the feast, and that's an interesting history to know, and I think it's actually an important and relevant history to know, and too few people, I think, are even aware that that exists. So we're going to remedy that and uh, get ready for you know, the the Cook's Busman holiday. This is it's 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 work and pleasure kind of at the same time, and uh, it can go well or it can go badly. So let's stack the deck in our favor, which is what the first part's all about: getting to success. So here we go. All right, folks, today is all about Thanksgiving. I'm doing two parts. The first is about Thanksgiving prep, and the second is about the first Thanksgiving, which is not the first Thanksgiving, but the second Thanksgiving, but that's the one that we celebrate. Got that? On to dinner. And I know this is a bit early, but I want to make sure that everyone has a chance to listen and to download what uh, the PDF um, prep list I'm going to talk about in a minute, so that there's time. As I'm about to tell you, there is a method to success. The key, as it were, to getting Thanksgiving dinner on the table with a minimum of stress is mise en place. Everything in its place. Since there is usually far more food and people than a normal dinner night, getting ready is a big challenge. I make prep lists and hang them in plain sight in the kitchen so I can cross off what's done, see what's next, and organize my tasks for some sanity. If your kitchen is like mine, it's too small. It's too small for all of the things that have to be done in one day. Add to that that there simply isn't enough time or spousal tolerance to do all those things at once. So, we plan and stagger our tasks. Starting at least one week out, buy and thaw the turkey. Now, that far in advance, the bird can thaw in the fridge uh, perfectly fine. It's going to take some space, but it's going to be okay. Uh, thawing poultry, thawing any meat, but particularly the bird, is best done low and slow. So from the freezer into the refrigerator for several days is fine. Leaving the bird out overnight? <laughs> yes, my mother did that and yours did too. Not the first best choice. Uh, a frozen bird will take several days to thaw, which is why we want the fridge. I brine my bird and give it a good overnight brining somewhere between 12 and 18 hours. Uh, to do that, I use a five-gallon bucket uh, and the gift of cold from Mother Nature to brine it and store it outdoors. Now, this is the first challenge of Thanksgiving, space management. Uh, the outdoor brining thing, that's great if you're somewhere north of the Mason-Dixon line where it's cold enough at night to do that. If you're in, say, Texas or Arizona, Florida, it's not going to work. 
if a five gallon bucket doesn't fit in your fridge, um, find something that does, or we can go without you can go without brining, which is of course an option. Monday is not too soon to start some of the prep, which can last for a couple of days. So stocks, uh, pie dough, a puff pastry, uh, candied pecans or candied peanuts or pistachios or cashews, whatever you have, uh, those can be done on Monday and the candied nuts, you know, something to snack on. Uh, also, Monday is a great day for getting organized for Tuesday and Wednesday. And part of that organization is back to uh, mise en place, which I mentioned uh, a few episodes back on the uh, cake mixing and baking. The physical mise en place, the stuff on the counter, the stuff in the fridge, you know, the things you can hold is one kind of mise en place. So if you need it, make sure it's where you can get it. The other mise en place is mental mise en place, which is thinking about not just what you're doing and where the stuff is, but what's next. What is the order of operations for the day? If chicken stock is going to take four hours to cook, including straining and cooling, and you save that till nine o'clock at night, well, that's poor time management. Things that take longer should be done sooner in the day so that they can finish and you can go to bed. Because, you know, <laughs> we like that. So the mise en place, physical and mental mise en place. Using Monday to figure out what's doing on Tuesday and Wednesday is a good use of Monday time. So with those two kinds of mise en place, organizing our thoughts and organizing our tools, we can begin getting ready for our big Thursday day. A couple things just to think about as we're going through the the sort of inventory of the physical mise en place and thinking about our mental mise en place. Um, it's it's often been the case that when Thursday dinner is done and it's putting away time, well, there aren't enough containers. So um, no doubt you'll be going shopping for all of your things. Pick up a couple of extra packs of containers for storage. We happen to be fans, uh, well, I am a fan of a particular kind of luncheon meat that comes in a snap-top red-lidded container, which makes a very handy storage vessel once you've eaten the lunch meat. And I have, seriously, dozens of them, and I use them all the time because they stack nice. They have room for a piece of tape to label on them, and they you can freeze them, cool them, and microwave them. So... I'm thrilled. Buy the container, get the meat for free. So let's start with Monday again. Monday is our catch-all day. We're going to do our shopping that we didn't do. If we need other stuff, which is part of our mise en place, uh, things we've overlooked, things we need to go back and get, we're going to look over our prep list, uh, counting for every main thing on our list, as well as maybe even some of the less main things, baking soda, baking powder, salt, pepper, um, flour, eggs, butter. Those are the main things. Uh, you're making a chocolate pecan pie. Do you have the chocolate? Do you have corn syrup? Do you have the pie pan? Uh, 
The more details you include on your prep list, the more information you're going to have about what you need and where it needs to be when you get to do the thing. Now, I don't write the actual recipe itself under any particular thing. So let's take that pecan pie. So pecan pie is the heading underneath, kind of like making an outline in 10th grade English. The next line below is intended once, uh, and then in just no particular order, pecans, pie crust, corn syrup, eggs, salt. Um, it's going to need a crazy... <laughs> It needs sugar. So much sugar. It's insane. Uh, the sugar, if you're going to do chocolate, what kind of chocolate? We'll put that on your, prep, on your prep list. So when you're looking at that item, you know the things you need to have. And then the recipe can be just in a packet of recipes for the day. Either in the, if you're, well, I would... I would put them in a binder, but actually wouldn't leave them in the binder because it takes up too much space on the counter. So in the in the binder, in those um, sheet protectors is a really good idea because there's bound to be spills or wet spots of who knows what egg or milk or cream or coffee or, you know, champagne. Uh, and then your recipe gets wet and the ink bleeds and well you know so we can avoid all that craziness everything that you're going to need on the list uh, i leave those out of the um, plastic thingies so that i can mark the lines off now here's a little shh trick i do is i put i put nearly everything i can think of on the list just so i can cross it off so the the more sharpie lines that show up on the page, it's like wow! Hey, honey, look what I did today. You know, it's don't tell anybody. It's our secret. Shh, shh, shh. Tuesday is prepping to prep. If you're going to make green bean casserole, which I love, but I don't like canned soup, this is a good day to make the sauce soup base ahead of time. It's going to be fine for a couple of days. Uh, you can clean the mushrooms, make the sauce, make the roux. You can blanch the beans. You can pick the beans and cook the beans, get those ready, um, have everything ready to go. I have tried on several occasions to make my own version of the French fried onions that go on top. Well, one of the impressive things about commercial anything is that they have mastered consistency. Well, the French as any people have mastered consistency, and I can't do better. So we we buy we buy the commercial onion stuff on top because I I can't I can't improve on it. So in that case that's what i do tuesday is also a good day to make the pizza dough for friday thanksgiving leftover pizza uh tuesday is a good day to bake the cornbread and toast the bread for the uh dressing uh, i don't prefer stuffing and i'll talk about that in a minute uh and also if you're going to make your own cranberry sauce tuesday is a good day for that now, of course, depending on the size of your menu, the number of people coming, some of these things can be saved until Wednesday, but I find that sometimes uh, Wednesday brings its own set of surprises or inspirations and things that we just have to have. That, oh my gosh, look at all the time I have. Let's make something else. So desserts, 
desserts are often those things that are inspirations, and desserts certainly don't get better if they're baked on Tuesday, waiting for Thursday. So desserts are things that uh, if 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 I have to do it, well, let me rephrase that. If I can do it on Tuesday for Thursday, I will. Like, for example, a cake, bake that and then decorate it on Wednesday because cakes like to be nice and cool. They don't like buttercream does not like warm cake. No, 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 no. Um, pumpkin pie is better Wednesday than Tuesday. Pecan pie, I don't, with all this sugar, it doesn't really make a difference. So you decide on your own schedule, but baking tends to be a Wednesday thing because, of course, Thursday, the oven is busy. Wednesday is also the day to brine the bird. You can make the brine on Tuesday. You can make the brine on Tuesday the week before. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, the brine recipe I use and the Thanksgiving pizza recipe are all on the Thanksgiving tab on the blog, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash holiday. Uh, I've got near most of my holiday recipes are there. I know that I've added some stuff in the last year, some of it in the last few months that hasn't been uh, included on that, and I will endeavor to fix that, but most of the stuff is there. And my tip for the turkey is to pat it dry after it comes out of the brine. I like to butter the skin for a little extra browning, and, you know, it's butter, uh, and also the butter is a good way for the skin to hold the salt. Now, hang on there, Reed. You just took that turkey out of a brine. I did. I took the turkey out of a brine, but brines don't actually make the meat salty. Uh, the brine I use is a combination of sugar and salt, and it has a lot of chemistry going on in the meat, holding the water in, but it doesn't actually, even though the sodium going in, it doesn't increase the sodium salty flavor. And besides, the crispy skin with some salt on it is just maybe the best thing there is. So uh, a good pat dry butter, you could use rendered bacon fat, you could use rendered poultry fat, it doesn't really matter, something to hold that salt on while it starts to cook. Uh, Thursdays is dessert baking day, if you do do it on Wednesday, but you're gonna have uh, you and the clock are not going to be friends. So if you can do that, um, so let's just Take a second here. Uh, rolls. Dinner rolls, if you bake them on Wednesday, you can underdo them like a minute or two minutes, let them cool, wrap them in foil, and then just before you're ready to serve, put them back in the oven on Thursday so they get all nice and warm and just, you know, man, it's a warm roll. What's, what's warm roll and crispy, salty skin? That's pretty much all you need. Oh, and, and wine. For the turkey. So now we're moving into Thursday a little bit. Generally, a turkey is roasted for 18 to 20 minutes per pound. Uh, the time, is, that time frame is for birds which are not stuffed. I love dressing, but I am no fan of stuffing. And it's not an objection to the product. It's an objection to the change in how the heat sees the bird, and how the heat almost always must overcook the bird to ensure that the stuffing is to the proper temperature. Uh, 
So think about that bird with nothing in it, or maybe you put, you know, an apple and an orange and a leak inside the cavity to sort of steam and then fuse a little bit of aromatics into the bird, but that's not the same thing. If you're taking stuffing and putting it in the cavity, as far as the heat is concerned, you have now taken this thing, which was hollow inside, and made it solid inside. So the heat now has to get all the way in the middle, but to get all the way in the middle has to go through all the stuff on the outside at first. So the tricky press is <laughs> going to make shoe leather just to make sure that that dressing, sorry, stuffing is to the proper temperature. And therein lies my principal problem. Overcooking the bird to the point of irredemption to invent a word maybe, is just a, a, such a bad decision that we can fix that choice and serve both of those components in much better fashion. We do, we make, we make a dressing, we put it in a separate pan and bake that, and then that's the thing. Plus, it makes really spectacular uh, pan-fried crispy leftovers the next day. So we don't stuff our birds. So uh, aside from the trimmings and the turkey sandwiches the next day or Thanksgiving pizza, one of the other very infamous traditions for Thanksgiving is food poisoning from poorly cooked stuffing or leftovers left over too long out of the fridge. Sanitation, even in a turkey coma, cannot be compromised. So we're going to get back to that in a minute. Let's go back to the bird. If you bought a turkey with one of those pop-up thermometer thingies, pull it out, and with great ceremony, throw it away. I prefer an instant reason. Well, the reason throw it away is they're set to pop out when the turkey breast is already overcooked and can't be saved and there's nothing you can do once that happens so they're setting you up yes you won't get sick but you won't enjoy your turkey so throw it away i prefer an instantly read thermometer now there are several issues at once to deal with when roasting a whole bird and those things do bring a challenge the first one is the breast and leg thigh quarters don't get done at the same time. So that whole roasted bird on the platter, on the table, man, it just, it does. It's a very impressive appearance. It looks great. It's, it's you know, the Norman Rockwell pictures. It is all of the nostalgia and, well, let's say it, Americana of, of the past. But... <laughs> One thing, something has to give. Either the thighs are underdone, and that's just yuck. Or the breast is well overcooked, and that's just yuck. So, visual presentation aside, and aesthetics are important, believe me. And if anybody knows that, it's me. But there's also something about let's have some palatability to our food. So, the way we can get around this problem is to separate the whole breast cavity with the backbone intact and the uh, thigh leg quarters, you can pull them off. You can cut them off. Uh, if you can't do it, well, if you can't do it, send me an email. I'll make a video for you. It's very simple. 
Um, it, it involves a sharp knife, but you'll be fine. Um, then on two separate pans, we can roast the breast quarter, the breast cavity, and the leg quarters separately and pull them out of the oven when it's time to pull them out of the oven and leave the other one to cook so that everything is done. And we can still make a nice presentation for the table because that's, we want to see that. That looks nice. So, uh, the overcooked bird, even a brine can't really save that. It helps, but it doesn't fix everything. I cooked the turkey breast to 155 degrees, measured with my instant meat thermometer, and removed the turkey breast from the oven, cover it with foil, and no kidding, let it rest 20 minutes. I know that sounds crazy. Like, well, it's going to be ice cold. It's not really going to be ice cold because that solid turkey is very dense meat and it's going to hold that heat and it's going to actually increase in temperature depending on the size of the bird at least 10 degrees. So you pull it at 155, it's going to go to 165, possibly 170. And in the course of, of, Sitting out of the oven, a couple of things happen. One, the temperature is rising, and at some point it's going to taper off, but it's going to hold. It's not going to go back down. It's going to be 40 degrees. It's going to stay warm, hot for a while. But the other thing that's really important for the the palatability of the bird is as as the heat is in the oven cooking the bird, roasting or sautéing, with high heat and protein, it's an extraordinarily violent thing that's going on inside the protein. And when it's done, there's this, this, this molecular chaos inside. And if we uh, take that bird out of the oven and cut it right away, in, in, in mere minutes, there's just liquid everywhere. And that's not good. Everything that comes oozing out of the bird is stuff that's supposed to be in the bird. And when you cut it the next bite and it's as dry as sand, well, yeah, because everything that made it juicy is somewhere not in the bird. Letting the bird rest 20 minutes, possibly 25, lets all of that stuff, all that juice redistribute back into the turkey breast where it's supposed to be. So then we have a, a juicy, flavorful, palatable slice of turkey breast, which also makes superior sandwiches the next day. The turkey leg quarters, I want to pull them at 180 degrees, which is a giant difference from 155. Let them rest also for at least 10 to 15 minutes for the exact same idea. We want the juices to redistribute inside the meat. Now, dark meat, for a variety of reasons, tends to be um, juicier and more tender than white meat. That may be for another episode, but... Different cooking times, letting them both rest for redistribution. This isn't a socialist turkey of juices so that we have really good bird. Well, rested turkey breast is going to be, well, it's going to be that M word. That M word that rhymes with hoist that when I say it makes my wife's eardrums itch. She hates it when I say moist. Moist, moist, moist. Turns out that's the thing.
If you've ever been to Aunt Jean's house and seen that platter of, <laughs> it's like a moat of turkey juice. Well, you know, we love Aunt Jean a great deal, but Aunt Jean cut the bird too soon. And we're going to avoid all of that by letting the bird rest. One last tip for the breast is to remove the wishbone before you brine it. Now, if you're if if you're not really comfortable using um, sharp knives really close to your fingers, and believe me, that makes perfect sense. It's, it's not it's not a normal thing. Um, send me an email. I'll work on a video. It's not really hard, but it's an unusual thing to do. And but the reason we want to remove the wishbone before we roast it is when it's roast, if you've ever, if you've been the carver, you carve, 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 and then to get that nice slice, there's the wishbones in the way. And, and you say, boy, I sure wish this wishbone wasn't here. Well, we're going to grant that wish preemptively by taking it away. And that facilitates a much nicer carving of the turkey breast when it's at the table ready for everyone to eat. All right, on to some sanitation. Some of this stuff is fairly obvious, but it's worth reminding because there's a lot going on. Start with the clean kitchen. Wash the counters, wash your hands, put everything away, and organize your setup. You baking desserts, you only need racks on the counter for the desserts to cool. A garage, if you have one, or an outside with a protected area is a great place for items to cool. If you don't have, if you've either overrun yourself in your kitchen counter or you don't have a lot of kitchen counter, uh, there's a lot of, you can make those things, uh, press them into service for places to cool and let things rest. Uh, clean down between projects. One thing's done, or if you've got a couple of things happening at the same time because the nature of what you're doing, you can do that. When that's all done, stop, clean everything up, put all the dirty stuff in the sink. Maybe you need to wash dishes and get those dirty things back to being clean. If you don't have enough mixing bowls or whatever the things are, and start all over again with the clean kitchen. Make sure you have... Uh, your bag, or your snap top containers, or your leftovers containers, whatever you're going to use, tape, sharpie, all that stuff is ready to go. So as you're doing your prep and your <laughs> quick word, containerizing all your stuff, you can label it so you know where it is and what it is. Uh, the same thing is going to apply for all the containers and all the bags for after dinner Thursday when it comes time to put the leftovers away. So containerize everything, label everything, get everything cleaned up before you start your game of Cards Against Humanity. And save the turkey bones for the stock, which is an absolute must for the turkey soup. When dessert time comes, make your own whipped cream. For every pint, that's two cups of heavy cream, add a tablespoon of granulated sugar about a third of the way through whipping the whipped cream. Uh, and that I prefer a slightly less sweet whipped cream, especially since the desserts generally are um, 
pretty sweet to begin with. Um, but you can, you know, adjust that any way you like. Uh, a little bit of vanilla also is a really nice addition to the whipped cream. Uh, there's this misconception, I think, that to make whipped cream, you have to have motorboat prop speeds going in that just thousand miles an hour. Not so at all. Slow and steady wins the race with whipped cream, and as it happens, a slower whipping of the whipped cream produces a finer, a finer butter molecule that it's so you you. Anyway, it makes a finer. What's going on is the little pieces of butter. You're sort of making them become friends, and as they become friends and join each other, they're trapping the air. Now, if you do that really quickly, it happens quickly, but it isn't a really strong structural bond. If you go a little bit more slowly, that butter-trapped air holds better longer and is a uh, a finer mouthfeel. It's it's really it's your house. Nobody really cares that a restaurant that makes a difference. But these are just things that you know you can. Plus, you also actually have control over not over whipping if you go slow. Uh, when you over whip whipped cream. Keep going, because now you've made butter and there's no going back. And then clean out the bowl and start again. Friday midday snack in this house is the aforementioned Thanksgiving pizza, which, of course, is on the blog. We often buy a variety of specialty cheeses uh, just as a sort of snacking thing on Wednesday and Thursday, just for, you know, between the uh, the candied or caramelized uh, pecans or peanuts. Sometimes they make little uh, bread twists or the sort of like appetizer or droopy things while everything else is waiting to, you know, happen and sit down and eat dinner. But the... Thanksgiving pizza with all this stuff is sort of the midday Friday dinner. And let me be clear, said no politician ever, this pizza is not keto friendly. After spreading out the dough in my well-oiled sheet pan, I spread out the dressing, sweet potatoes, cranberry sauce, sliced turkey breast, green bean casserole, the cheeses, whatever else you have or want, and bake that on medium-high for a good little bit so that the center is the thing that gets done. The edges are getting done quick. The center, that'll take a little while. And just to reiterate, make sure the pan is well-oiled. Uh, it is basically turkey coma part two and worth every gram of carbs. I hope you have a wonderful and safe Thanksgiving weekend. Eat well and drink heartily. And if you are in the cyber-minded shopping mode, I would appreciate your visit at my Gifts for Cooks link on the blog. I'll have a banner for that on the show notes page, which is culinarylibertarian.com slash 60. Now, before I get into the first Thanksgiving, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor.fm. Today, I'm going to talk about the first Thanksgiving, both of them. We all know about the feast with the Indians and the pilgrims and how everything was sunshine and daisies. Well, I'm going to ruin that myth for you. I'm also going to destroy the part where they told you it was the first Thanksgiving. It's probably the first one with a feast, but not the first giving of thanks from men reaching the shore of the new world. I do want to say that I am not working at dissertation levels here. 
If you wish, there is plenty to find on these topics. I am going for the big picture, but I think it is the right and proper one. Also, I'm not really interested in the appropriation of culture debate. Culture isn't a static, unchanging thing, and no one owns a culture. I'm going to start with the second first and do the first second. Richard J. Mayberry, writing for Mises.org, wrote an article entitled The Great Thanksgiving Hoax, and I'll have links to that article on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash nine. I'm going to read a few parts from this piece. Quote, The official story has the pilgrims boarding the Mayflower, coming to America, and establishing the Plymouth Colony in the winter of 1620-21. to The first winter is hard, and half the colonists die. But the survivors are hardworking and tenacious, and they learn new farming techniques from the Indians. The harvest of 1621 is bountiful. The pilgrims hold a celebration and give thanks to God. They are grateful for the wonderful, new, abundant land he has given them. The official story, then, has the pilgrims living more or less happily ever after, each year repeating the first Thanksgiving. Other early colonies also had hard times at first, but they soon prosper and adopt the annual tradition of giving thanks for this prosperous new land called America, end quote. Mayberry cites the book History of Plymouth Plantation in various places in his article, and I'll have a link for that also on the show notes page. Mayberry continues, quote, The problem with this official story is that the harvest of 1621 was not bountiful, nor were the colonists hardworking or tenacious. 1621 was a famine year, and many of the colonists were lazy thieves, end quote. He continues, quote, In the harvest feasts of 1621 and 1622, all had their hungry bellies filled, but only briefly. The prevailing condition during those years was not the abundance, the official story claims, it was famine and death. The first Thanksgiving was not so much a celebration as it was the last meal of condemned men, end quote. To speak of the conditions of the pilgrims is to speak about economics. Yes, farming too, but the pilgrims came to the new world to build the perfect society and take that back to England and replace the corrupt system they left with the perfection they created. Except it was far from perfect. The system was socialism. Richard M. Ebeling wrote an article entitled Thanksgiving, celebrating the birth of American free enterprise, and he writes, quote, Their goal was the communism of Plato's Republic in which all would work and share in common, knowing neither private property nor self-interested acquisitiveness. Well, it failed. For two years, socialism failed. Desperate to survive, they few who remained, they tried private property. Each, as was needed, was given a plot of land to tend. Eat what you grow. The result was the Plymouth Colony experienced a great bounty of food. Private ownership meant that there was now a close link between work and reward. End quote. 
from almost any position, that sounds like a good refutation of Marx and socialism and a shout-out for private property. And as it stands, I suppose it is. Except that's not really the whole of the story either. As I dug, I discovered that the story we just heard has at least one gaping omission. Kevin Carson writes in an article for the Center for a Stateless Society, an article directed at John Stossel, the journalist. In his piece, which I'll link to the show notes page at culinarylibertarian.com slash nine, Carson writes in part, quote, The Plymouth story is sometimes compared to that of agriculture in the last days of the Soviet Union, where most of the food consumed came from private family plots. This parallel is entirely accurate. What the received version of the Plymouth story leaves out, however, is that the role of the collective farm in the little drama is played not by naive Puritan zealots seeking to hold all things in common, but by a private corporation chartered by the English crown. End quote. Crossing concludes, quote, So the proper analog to what almost killed off the pilgrims is not, as Stossel says, Karl Marx or today's politicians and opinion makers. It's the lord of an English manor or a Fortune 500 corporation. The merchant adventurers, like the Fortune 500 companies of today, was a chartered corporation that depended entirely on benefits and legal privileges conferred by the state. End quote. The state, the government, is to blame, perhaps not entirely, but certainly more than we've been told. On to the first Thanksgiving. My primary source for this information is from the website berkeleyplantation.com. I'm going to go pretty quickly through the narrative to get to the main point. The site is well worth reading. Times were harsh and difficult in the 17th century England. The wool industry was failing. New source and a new place was needed for raw materials. John Woodleaf was selected to captain the good ship Margaret to Virginia to land at Berkeley 100. They set sail on September 16, 1619. After a brutal two and a half months at sea, the ship dropped anchor on December 4, 1619 in the King James River, Virginia, the Berkeley site. From the Berkeley Plantation webpage, quote, As Clifford Dowdy noted in his book, The Great Plantation, the men were rowed ashore, placed their personal luggage on the hard ground, gazed at the woods enclosing them, and listened to the complete silence. Then, at a command from Captain Woodleaf, with which they were profoundly stirred to comply, the homesick men knelt on the dried grass to pray. As instructed by the London Company, Woodleaf prayed, quote, We ordain that this day of our ship's arrival at the place assigned for plantation in the land of Virginia shall be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God, end quote. 
You see, the Berkeley Company had given a very specific list of ten instructions to the settlers when they departed England. The very first instruction was upon landing that they give a prayer of thanksgiving for their safe voyage and to do so annually and perpetually thereafter. America's first official English-speaking Thanksgiving had just occurred. One year and seventeen days before the Pilgrims landed in Massachusetts, and almost two years before the Pilgrims held a three-day harvest feast with their Native American friends, which is commonly thought today to be the first Thanksgiving. End quote. I'm sharing this to show that, in the words of Paul Harvey, there is the rest of the story, which too often we seem not to know. The whys and hows are another show. Let's move on to our feast. I am a turkey person. This year, I plan to do something a bit different. I have long struggled, as most cooks do, and I can attest that my grandmother did, with overcooked breast meat and barely cooked leg meat, or the whole bird is incinerated. To sawdust, and no amount of cranberry sauce or gravy will fix it. You know I'm right. The solution is simple, but it violates the sanctity and the presentation of the whole bird. The solution is break the bird down into at least three parts: the breast cage and the two leg quarters. Since they do not cook at the same rate, it seems silly to keep them attached. I will brine them. Yes. Brining turkey is a must-have, a must-do, and brining is also a very good way to help keep pork and chicken moist. You can find my recipe at culinarylibertarian.com/turkey. Thanksgiving is kind of a busman's holiday for me. Now I don't mind, but it drives my wife crazy. I spend no, I spend far too much time in the kitchen to her pleasure. But I guess that's that's the busman holiday part. I, I just I find there's always something more to make. Last year I made chocolate mousse just because I did and will make this year my pumpkin cheesecake. I know there are some of you who say, "Oh, I hate cheesecake." I get it. Every person who has said that to my offer has agreed. This cheesecake isn't the yucky, crappy one they hate. Yes, it is just that good. Some of our must-haves are my wife's grandmother's dressing, lots of dressing, and yes, not stuffing, dressing. We don't really so much need the turkey, except we don't. We kind of do because we want turkey sandwiches the next day. Oh, and the post-turkey pizza—that's now a thing. Regardless, your feast offerings allow me a moment of didactic to reflect on what treacherous journeys we've made. My sister and I recently lost my brother. Of that original five parents and kids, we two remain. I am thankful his pain has ended, but I'm mad as a hatter that cancer got another one. I am mad, also angry. Well, lots of things、uh, for his family that no good thing comes from cancer. On the upside, my kids are about as amazing to me as they can be, and we all are doing well. All right, that's enough of that.
Enjoy your meal. Have a glass. A glass. <laughs> yeah. Have at least a glass of Nouveau Beaujolais for me. And I'll see you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Links to the Thanksgiving page as well as the Thanksgiving talk will be on the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 60. I've written another ebook. This one, not about food, but a little bit of politics slash economics. Socialism Successes is an essay about what socialism did do effectively and the transcript from the interview with Chris Colton. Uh, he and I talked about his article, which appeared in the Austro-Libertarian magazine, now renamed Bastion, which was an article about the origins and intent of socialism. You can download the book for free by clicking on clicking over to socialismiswrong.com, all one word, of course, and follow the links. Uh, it redirects you to an opt-in page, and then after that, it takes you to the download page, and then you can download the PDF right there. One last action. Please go out and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatcher. Uh, leave a rating and a review because, of course, those things do help the algorithm move the show up and let more people find it. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.